It is Wednesday, the 2nd of May, 2018, and this is the Promotional Malpractice Live Chat. Welcome, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me. I greatly appreciate it. Fun little podcast for you. We'll go about, ooh, let's say, 87 minutes or so, but a little bit less, 86 and some change. And we will talk about the latest and greatest inside MMA and maybe a little bit beyond that. Best place to get your question in is going to be where this window is embedded on MMAfighting.com because uh, it won't be on YouTube. Uh, and by the way, the last 15 minutes or so, I will go to Twitter and answer questions there. So hit me up on Twitter at L Thomas News. Uh, I do not believe that we have any housekeeping bits of order today. Except you might hear some construction, which I've been saying for the last, I don't know, several weeks, but it's just a reality because, uh, well, not only am I getting construction, but the guys who were doing construction on my house have now managed to procure the services of both my neighbors. So now there's construction at all three houses all day long. So it's great. It's really, really great. Got my Chipotle Coke Zero. What do you guys get when you go to Chipotle? I get the rice, I get the pinto beans, I get the fajitas, I get a little bit of lettuce underneath, uh, I get double chicken, got to get that protein, I get uh, corn, I'll give or take, I get the green salsa, I get the pico de gallo, and then I get half a serving of sour cream on top. That's really my go-to. I like the guacamole, but it's like so full of calories, you got to be careful with that one. I'd rather save that for, I don't know, booze at the end of the weekend. That's usually my go-to. The double chicken, though, that's what's key. You got to get the double chicken. Uh, okay. Let's get to these chat questions, shall we? Nate Diaz is up for grabs. Bellator 198 stuff is up for grabs. And whatever else you would like. Without further ado, let's get to it. All right. First question. Bellator's fate. This is actually green. Seven recommendations. Hi, Luke. What do you make of the future of Bellator? They've been spending good money to sign former UFC talent in the last couple of years, yet their viewership numbers are lacking and sometimes dismal. Do you see Paramount dropping Bellator in the near future? Does the overall slump in MMA viewership remove the market for MMA's number two organization? Well, remember, they can't just drop them. I mean, they can do lots of things, but they own them, right? Remember, they purchased outright Bellator. Uh, so... It's not a matter of signing the rights away for their broadcasts or some kind of viewership expiration. They can do what they want. And my guess is if they didn't want them anymore, they would probably try to sell it, either assets or the organization as such. Now, that is a mere hypothetical. I don't think we're near that necessarily. But just to make sure that we're all talking about the same thing, it's not like UFC and Fox where the deal just expires and maybe they stay together, maybe they don't. This is in perpetuity up and until Viacom decides what they want to do with it. So keep that in mind. Uh, the question is, their viewership numbers are lacking and sometimes dismal. Do you see Paramount dropping them? So no, not dropping. But does the overall slump in MMA viewership remove the market for MMA's number two organization? So this, this is a really interesting debate. Uh, I'd, I'm glad that we're starting it on this one. Because if you watched Bill Tour 198, now I did not watch it live. But I went back and I watched it after the fact. I encourage you to watch the Monday Morning Analyst about Dylan Danis. Everyone wants to hate on him. I don't understand quite why. I mean, yes, his persona is annoying, but lots of people's persona are annoying. That doesn't mean that uh, you can't recognize achievement when you look at it or contextualize properly that achievement. Now, that's a different 
discussion for a different time. But certainly Fedor getting back to his winning ways seemed to really energize a lot of people. And they set up what is arguably the biggest match they can have in the tournament with Chael versus Fedor. If you think about it, uh, let's see what happens here. Now, Rampage was in there. Now, I guess if Rampage was winning, that could have been big, depending on how things would have shaken out. Right, but the reality is, I think you want Fedor or Chael at the one end of that bracket. They probably seem the two most relevant stars at this point, so you're going to get that. Number one, I'm sorry, that's number one. Number two, when you think about the other side of the bracket, you have Mitrion moving on from Nelson, okay, and then you have Kingmo versus Bader. Now, those are all fine fighters and all fine fights, but there's no permutation there. Um, ultimately, that's bigger than Chael versus Fedor as a semifinal. Then, when you think about it, let's say Chael advances. Chael could either face Mitrion, Bader, or King Mo. None of those are as big uh, as Chael versus Fedor. Or Fedor could advance. Fedor versus Mitrion, you've already done. I guess you could sell the rematch, but whatever. And then Fedor versus King Mo would be interesting. And then Fedor versus Borai Bader would be interesting. But I don't know that it would be bigger than Fedor versus Chael. So Fedor versus Chael is actually like the best fight they could have gotten. I think whenever you make these tournaments, you, you, they're actually much more difficult to put together than you can imagine. Because you have to balance between what fights do we want to guarantee up front and then what fights do we want to see if we can engineer with a little bit of luck down the road. So I thought they actually got it right with this one. They gave you up front Fedor versus Mir and then waited to see what would happen. Luck smiled upon them. And so now they have Fedor versus Chael, the biggest fight in the whole tournament, even though it's just the semifinal. So, so things broke well for them. Dylan Danis got a nice win. Lovato Jr.'s armbar was amazing <laughs> so good so good uh and then of course neiman gracie looked looked fine emmanuel sanchez getting i think what back-to-back -back stoppages something like that i'll put that up here i won't stop the chat but i just wanna just wanna see for sure well oh yeah let's see how much noise my animals make while i'm doing this because they're so reliable for that you hear barbus out there just howling at the moon uh, yes, that's two stoppages in a row. He had the Daniel Strauss stoppage and then the Sam Cecilia stoppage. So he's on his way. So in any case, everything was looking really great for them in a lot of different ways. And then the numbers came out. And the numbers were supposed to, I think, 581 for Paramount and then 169K on CMT. So dual, about 740 or so. Um, not great. Now, there was a lot of competition in terms of there was boxing on several different networks. There was also... Um, um, Playoffs, I believe NBA and hockey as well. So it wasn't like they had an easy opening where there was they could just sail on in. But those numbers, I think, are the bare minimum of what I would call acceptable. So they met the acceptable threshold, but they are far from great and not even close to very good either. Um, so what does this mean? You follow up on Bellator 190, what was it, sevens ratings, which were uh, shockingly bad. And now you have this. We'll see ultimately what the DVR numbers come out to be. But... I've had a couple of theories about this. One is that as MMA contracts, what does that do for the ability, as you indicated, to have a number two organization? I still think that theory is in play, number one. I have been resistant. Okay, so that's one. The second part of that theory is, look, everybody is struggling on television. There was an article today in Awful Announcing about all the networks and how, much, uh, how many homes they're in less uh, each month, uh, month over month, 
And what you notice is like some of these channels, like the Big Ten Network or some of these networks devoted to particular sports conferences, they're really suffering. However, it's not like ESPN and FS1 are not experiencing blood loss as well. They're not nearly as much as those like Big Ten Networks. They're the ones I mentioned before, SEC Network, things like that. But they're all experiences losses across the board. Uh, everybody is not getting out of television what they want. So I think, one, you have this North American MMA contraction. On top of that, you have the changing dynamics of television. I do think Viacom is being hit particularly hard. That's why you're hearing some of these Viacom CBS purchase merger talks, right? Because they really need to boost uh, what the company can offer. By the way, no one's talking about it, but the Time Warner uh, uh, AT&T merger trial is happening now. Uh, and there have been times and days I've been following the trial pretty closely. There have I have to tell you, there have been times and days while the government's case is falling apart, and then they had a day, oof, I want to say last, God, what was that, Thursday last week, Friday last week? I can't quite remember where um, they got they got a witness to testify, and it absolutely blew up in AT&T's uh, face. They tried to get DirecTV off of the plaintiff's list. The judge wouldn't let them, so that's going to be a really interesting thing to follow. You now see, this is not exactly related to content creation, but you now see merger opportunities between Sprint and uh, T-Mobile, right? This this corporate consolidation and whether the DOJ will have an appetite for it. My only point is that there are, there are these underlying dynamics. It's not merely about what Bellator is doing or not doing. They are suffering from this larger climate we're all in. And I do think that the MMA contraction theory is making, it's exacerbating what they're doing. I will say this, I will say this. And there's a, and there's a, there's a listener and a reviewer of my work. He is a, a very smart fan. He is sometimes a pain in the ass. But he is always providing feedback you have to take seriously, even when you agree or disagree. Jason Amati has been on my ass about a theory. I don't know exactly what his Twitter handle is. It might be something like that. He believes that it's time to have a reckoning about the way in which Bellator has made fights. Namely, that putting these freak show fights or these this senior tour, Masters MMA up front, that the chickens are coming home to roost on this. Todd Martin of Sherdog has echoed similar sentiments. You can read his article over there. Um, I'm... I'm, I'll say this about it. I'm opening up to that theory a little bit. I don't think it is by itself explanatory, just as I don't think the changing MMA dynamics of, uh, excuse me, the changing dynamics of television are solely explanatory or the contraction theory as solely explanatory. I think it's probably a combination of things. But I do think we need to sort of come back to reality here a little bit and at least begin to entertain the argument that if you look at it, Yes, which got bigger ratings, Bellator 198 or Bellator 197? Well, Bellator 198 did, but this overall decline and this lack of sustainability and this lack of an ability to promote properly the Chandlers and whoever else is of the world, uh, could that be a function of this over-reliance on those other kinds of fights? I still think there are some problems with that argument, but we need to start taking that a lot more seriously. We need to have a bigger discussion about it because... I think that theory is increasingly gaining some salience. And I will admit that. As long as they will admit, that's not the sole explanation. All right. Paramount network availability. I live in Canada, this person writes, and just had to change my cable package. My cable provider has package demand, excuse me, package channels in such a way that you have to buy from top tier packages to receive the Paramount network. This was not the case when Paramount was still called Spike. I know this isn't really related to the question, but it may have something to do with Bellator's lower ratings. Well, if they went to a higher tier that shouldn't reduce the amount of homes they're in, that should actually potentially open it. 
they, I, when networks go to a lower tier, yes, you typically pay less, but it's because they're in fewer homes, right? The way the bundle works is because the cost is spread over a wider base. So I don't know exactly what the problem is with what you're discussing, but someone says, I'm in the US and my cable internet package with Comcast costs 120 bucks a month and does not include Paramount. So again, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't get paid by any of these people. I'm just telling you guys what I've done. I've cut the cord. <laughs> I don't know what y'all are waiting on. If you have good, if you, okay, if you, do, if you don't have good internet, maybe wait a little bit. Or if you've got a really great cable package, some people do. I don't know who left in this world does, but um, some people have these really low bills where they're able to get internet and all the channels that they basically need and, and the bundle together works for them. If it works for you, there's no need to change. But for me, I was getting raked over the coals financially. It was like I was paying for a high-end luxury automobile with my effing cable bill every month, and it was breaking my back. Um, I literally couldn't afford it. I was like, what are we doing? So I wound up uh, keeping my internet. Well, actually, I bumped my internet up in speeds, but I just cut the cord. I use Sling, and Sling has a highly customizable package. They have like a base package of 25, and then you can add DVR services if you want or certain tiers. Uh, my wife, we pay like five bucks extra. We get like Latin channels for her, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and you can get Viacom channels that way. I think you have to pay a little bit extra for it, but you can get it. Uh, and then I also pay 35 bucks a month for YouTube TV. Covered covered and i'm paying about a hundred bucks less each month than i used to and you may not even need all that stuff and you're asking what you get with youtube tv espn espnu espn2 espn hd big 10 network sec network fox sports one fox sports two fx fxx um, and of course all your local network you know fox cbs abc that kind of thing so uh, unlimited dvr so if, if you're looking for a way to save some money make sure your internet speeds are okay but if they are I, I get 1080p when I put on my YouTube. I have a YouTube TV app. So I had an old ass TV. I mean, it was a nice flat screen, but it was old. And I didn't realize that I didn't realize how bad old TVs were. So a buddy of mine moved to uh, Europe and had to sell his TV. I bought it at a reduced price. And he had, the, it was a brand, it's like six months old. And it's got all the apps built into the TV. I know I'm a donk. I just didn't know how good TVs were today. And there, you can install a YouTube TV app on the TV. Now, you can do it, I think, through Roku coming up soon. But in any case, you can just cast it for the Chromecast if you don't have that. And on my app on the TV, I got 1080p. So I was watching the Wizards lose to the effing Raptors, but at least I was watching it in high def. 35 bucks a month. Can't beat it. Speaking of the devil, Dylan Dennis, I am so glad you asked this question. Hi, Luke. How are you? Effing great. It was only his first professional fight, but what did you make of Dylan Danis's performance on Saturday? Obviously, his striking didn't look very good. No, it did not. But do you think over time he can improve it? I remember after Mackenzie Dern fought, you were saying she needs to practice wrestling so she can get the fight to the ground where she can dominate. Would you say the same for Danis? Also, where would you rate his BJJ game among other top MMA fighters? Would his pedigree be as good as Maya, Jacare, or Verdum? Uh, you spelled Maya wrong. No. And finally, does he have the type of BJJ style that you think will translate well to MMA? Thanks for your content from Ireland. Well, thank you. Great, great question. Um, someone says I met him in Rosemont. This this person writes, he's as big of a douchebag in real life as he is on TV. Funny thing is, he acts like he's hot shit, 
but he was waiting for an Uber in the Target parking lot like everyone else. <laughs> uh, we've all been there. You know what? God bless those Uber drivers. Um, someone says he's basically a higher level Mickey Gall. Stand up is about the same. No, Mickey's stand up was better, and Dennis's ground game is infinitely better than Mickey's. Not even comparable. Um, okay, this is a great question. So the response to his fight led me to conclude something, which is I'm not sure you should be making your pro debut on TV. Think about this for a second. Ed Ruth, I'm not sure exactly where he made his pro debut, but he's essentially compiled a handful of fights under the radar in Europe, on prelim cards, that kind of thing. Tyrell Fortune, same thing. That is the way to do it. Because look at cases like Dennis, where he didn't look all that great. Now, Mackenzie Dern was making her UFC debut, but and I guess in that sense, if you're making a UFC debut, there's nowhere to hide. So let's put that aside. But another case, Aaron Pico, making his debut on national TV. I think in the end, the loss he had uh, in his pro debut, Aaron Pico, will be seen as something of a footnote because I do think he has a bright future ahead of him. But my point is this. Asking somebody, including blue chip prospects like Dylan Dennis and Aaron Pico and many others, to make their pro debut on national television uh, has warped people's perspective about what pro debuts should look like. Dylan Dennis's, I have, I have seen probably close to 500 pro debuts. Why? Because I go to regional MMA shows all the time. I love going to regional MMA. Tickets are cheap. Seats are great. MMA has never been better in terms of the quality of fights. I know there's some dispute about that, but I, I, I find people's arguments to the contrary totally wrong about this. Um, and you might know people from your local gym or people from your local area. You're, you're, you're supporting a, 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 a local business, right? Buy local. You buy your produce local, your eggs local, if you can. Why not get your MMA local? Same thing. Um and when you do that, you see O and O's all the time, or people who are in similar positions, O and one, or something like that, or one and O, right? That is an excellent pro debut. That is exactly what a pro debut should look like, right? Perfect, near nearly anyway. And you're gonna say, oh, but Luke, he didn't look that good on the feet. I agree. Oh, he got tagged on the feet a couple of times. Yes, he did. Um, he couldn't get the takedown. He had to pull guard. Totally true. All those things are true. I'm not telling you he went in there and executed flawlessly, but when you look at somebody like Gary Tonin and you look at his pro debut, pardon me, as I spit on my own desk, like a savage and a barbarian that I am, that is so beyond the level of what 99% of other pro debuts look like, Aaron Pico and Dylan Dennis included, that it's, it's not close to realistic. Not even close. Pro debuts are about one thing, one thing, breaking the seal. That is it. It is about checking a box, and that is it, getting in and getting out. It's the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth fights. Well, that's when you want to put together a record of achievement. And maybe in your second and third fight, you want to go a little bit longer. You want to work on your skills that you put together in camp. And you want to do that in your first fight. But your first fight is about get the win and get out. Don't take a lot of damage. That's it. It's not really about all these other things. Pro debuts are often disasters. They go long even if you win. Guys take a ton of abuse, right? They panic. They freak. He didn't do any of that. 
He's on national television. He was on the main card. He pulled guard, got underneath, attempted a sweep, couldn't get it, which is fine because he set up right behind it. The next attack went for a leg, got a toe hold, finished quickly. Took a couple of punches, and that's about it. That is exactly what you want out of a pro debut. Gary Tonin going in there and looking like he had seven or eight fights is just, you know, it's because it's Gary Tonin and he's a magician and he's amazing, right? And good good on him. It's like a great thing. I'm in no way saying it's anything but awesome, but it's not realistic to what everyone else does. Look at Aaron Pico, lost in his pro debut. Look at Dylan Dennis, he had to pull guard. That's what pro debuts are for. Let's just break the seal. Let's move on to the next fight. And the next fight will slowly begin to build Maybe get someone a little bit tougher, maybe try to go a little bit longer or show other things you've worked on in camp, really begin to skill build. But you're not worried about all those things in a pro debut. I have seen a gazillion of them, a gazillion of them. Most do not look like this even when they're successful, and most don't have nearly the stakes. And Dylan Dennis knows how many haters he has, and Dylan Dennis knew he was on national television, and he did all that media, and he still looked that good. It is totally unfair to criticize him for not having good striking. It is totally unfair for doing all those things. And this is why you go back to the CM Punk argument. This is why you don't want to make your pro debut in the UFC, even against somebody like Mickey Gall, because number one, there's a UFC standard that I'm going to hold everybody to, whether that is fair or that is not. And he is clearly, at least in that first fight, not even approximating any space close to elite MMA, not even not even in the same kind of discussion, because how could he? Look at Dylan Dennis, young guy, super elite black belt, and neither is he. <laughs> what are we doing? What are we doing? It, it's, it's absurd. It's totally absurd. So, of course, he got mollywhopped. In fact, most pro debuts look about what CM Punk's did versus what Dylan Dennis did. The only tragedy of it all is it didn't need to be that way. If he had fought on some regional show like Dave Batista or something like that, uh, it, it, he could have gotten a much more enriching experience. He got paid. Great. Great. But that you don't learn shit from that. So this is my point. It's not that you look at what he did and you say, oh, I can point out all these mistakes. Yeah, relative to the highest level, it's his debut as an MMA fighter in the professional ranks. It is supposed to look and did very rudimentary. It's also supposed to not be too taxing, and it's also supposed to be a win. Mission accomplished. Now, you're asking about his pedigree. Is it as good as Maya Jacare Verdum? No. All those guys are multiple-time winners at the highest level in a black belt in the gi and, and without the gi. One of the tragedies of Danis was through brown belt, he was absolutely destroying everybody. Um, and he was part of that Marcelo Garcia brown belt all-star team. Him and Mancher and Mateus Denise and uh, what's the other guy? Um, there's a couple of them. Is it Sativa, Satava, Jonathan Satava? Um, a lot of those guys, just absolute savages, right? All of them. And there was there was more than just those guys as well. And uh, and uh, him and Mancher are now over at Unity BJJ. Um, hot take. I actually think Mancher is better than D D Danis at BJJ, but different thing but the point being is his black belt journey never really got to complete and he gave uh gordon ryan the toughest ma match of anybody in his division at uh adcc but by the time he began to mentally pivot to mma you could see it with mackenzie dern by the time she mentally pivoted to mma they just weren't the same competitors and so the real tragedy for Danis is was he on the same path 
to be a Maya or a Jacques of Verdum. Yeah, yeah, he was on that path. Now, ultimately, would he have been that guy? I don't know, but he was on that path. He got a little bit derailed uh, because of MMA, so I can't say that he's accomplished the same things that those guys have because it's not true. If you're looking to compare their resumes, a great site to go to is BJJ Heroes, something of a tapology or Sherdog Fight Finder or Wikipedia for jiu-jitsu accomplishment. Check out what he's done there. Uh, someone asks, good enough numbers for Bellator 198. After a very small number for 197, Bellator and Paramount were likely hoping for big numbers for 198. Reports seem to suggest that 198 averaged around 580. Yeah, yeah, we went over this. While this isn't the smallest figure for viewership, was Bellator looking for higher numbers? Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt. I know you've spoken a lot about the demographic change by from shifting from Spike to Paramount, but after these numbers for 198, are you more or less worried about the future of Bellator? I'm absolutely worried about the future of Bellator. But we've kind of been over this a little bit. Uh, just out of interest, I live in Liverpool and tried to get uh, tickets to this event. I think you mean the UFC Liverpool and failed. Prices ranged from 56 pound up to 140 pound. I think without all the VIP access, I had pre-sale codes, the lot, yet tickets sold out immediately each day only to appear instantly on resale sites for many times the face value. My question is, do you guys have the same problem in the United States? 100%. We have the exact same issues. It's a nightmare. I know, I know how you guys feel. It's so shitty when you set your clock, you're ready to go. You've got, as you mentioned, you got the pre-sale codes, you're locked in. As soon as they open it up, you're on there refreshing, refreshing, trying to get tickets, and they're all gone. It's because they've got these computer systems that uh, can buy up all the tickets at once. It's it's beyond frustrating. So it says, I paid a small fortune to go and see Bisping versus Henderson at silly o'clock in the morning, but refused to do it again. I don't know what to tell you guys. It sucks, and we have the we have the exact same problem over here. It's just terrible. So, have I ever traveled through Ireland in the eighties? No, I went there in two thousand four. There's a guy asking me a question, and his name is Bill Balsack. <laughs> let, let me jump. Want to come back? P.S. I think it may be time to upgrade your profile pic. It looks like you, excuse me, it looks like your after picture for Just for Men ad. Yes, I know. I am graying like Gandalf, like it's a contest, but what can I do? I'm turning into a uh, much less handsome, gorilla-ized version of Anderson Cooper, sans beard. All right. Uh, future regarding Nico Montano. Hi, Luke. After winning the inaugural 125-pound women's belt, fight fans haven't heard from Montano. There have been rumors saying that she hasn't been accepting fights when offered by the UFC. Potential opponents such as Valentina have been mentioned, but nothing has been confirmed. Do you know why she's been on the shelf for so long? Blah, blah, blah. Now, folks are mentioning um, that she's had, a num she's had a number of issues. She had her tonsils taken out. We tried to get her on my show this week, and her manager told us that she, has, she had a tonsillectomy. Um which can be uh, a bit of a problem. Uh, and she's had a number of other issues. I also think that it gets lost that she was living in a basement prior to the Ultimate Fighter, and I'm sure she had a nice paycheck from that, but that won't alter your life overnight. Uh, so she probably still has some financial constraints as well. Um, but to me, there was an issue, and when people got into it, of uh, Nico and her post about my colleague, Ariel Hawani. Now, I am normally loath to mention these kinds of things just as a matter of deference to the colleague, 
uh, which I still have, but I think it deserves some comment here only because I think he has been totally unfairly attacked. And I think everyone who is in MMA media should say it. In fact, I, I, I don't know that the MMA JA should speak about every time somebody gets criticized, but I don't know that they should be silent every time either. I'm not a member of them, but their silence here is a little bit interesting. Nevertheless, she went after him. And let's set the context here. Um, she hasn't been able to fight, um, which means she hasn't been able to earn money. She has had a series of illnesses and uh, health challenges. Again, I do not think in any way her financial constraints have somehow been overnight ameliorated. Like these are probably ongoing to some extent, right? So things have improved from the Ultimate Fighter, but how substantially and 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 not in a linear way, like health wise and maybe that way financial. So the composite sketch is one of of, of of ongoing difficulty. So I have, and you should have real sympathy for her. Now also understand she's a fighter. This is her chosen occupation. She went on the ultimate fighter and she won the show. Yes. I'm sure she is aware that Shevchenko is a very tough challenge for anybody but the idea that she's just sitting there trying to hold a belt and not compete and waiting to be stripped um, is absurd. And anyone questioning her character in that regard is making absurd statements and does not deserve to be taken seriously. I, I can't believe I have to say those kinds of things, but we live in a world where she gets attacked, and many fighters do, for presumed cowardice when it could be strategic, it could be health, there might be reasons why they don't want to disclose their health. There can be all kinds of justifiable reasons or you can't compete and can't talk about it or have limited discussion about it publicly. But for some reason, all those things tend to get ignored. However, I thought her attacks on my colleague were beyond the pale and absolutely unfair. And everyone in media, when asked about it, they don't have to go out of their way to say something necessarily, but if asked about it, should say very clearly, there's nothing wrong with what Ariel did at all, even a little bit. I suppose, I suppose, like any tweet or any report, it could be worded in a way that is more delicate, right? Okay, we can all be slightly more delicate. But uh, the truth is, there's nothing wrong with what was written there. And there's nothing probably factually inaccurate. Now, I don't know the sources there, but I mean, how many times does Ariel need to report something as totally true before his record of, of, of success in this regard is no longer questioned. We're talking about a guy who had his run-ins at Belter 190, excuse me, UFC 199 because he scooped uh, a secret that like a handful of people knew, right? We're talking about impeccable sourcing here. Moreover, he did not question her character. Again, maybe if you want to be super delicate about it, you could, but the, the fact of the matter is uh, he was noting that there might've been frustration with the UFC, not that he was expressing frustration. And she noted that, well, they flew her out to do some medical procedures, right? The two are not mutually exclusive. They can do both and they can be friendly to you and still also have um, significant issues with the way in which someone's recovery is going. I mean, look at the case of Kawhi Leonard with the Spurs, right? Uh, the fact that he's had this, anytime an athlete has ongoing health issues, unless they are super severe, um, where you know someone's inability to walk or something has been compromised, right? Because let's say some terrible accident or something. Short of that, that it creates tension between the sports organization and the athlete. 
It's common. It's totally common. Doesn't mean they hate Kawhi Leonard. Doesn't mean Kawhi Leonard hates the Spurs. But it certainly means that there are some tense feelings about it. Just like this one. They want her back on the shelf. They want to get this thing moving. They've got plans. She's got her own financial and health concerns to address. Understandably, it creates tension. Um, the two are not mutually exclusive. And I know everybody loves it. And it's so fun when fighters dunk on media. I get it. It's the it's just a reality of things. That's never going to change. People just love the the, the scandalous nature of it. And the you know uh, you'll, you'll never not make friends in this business attacking media. Right? It's the easiest thing. I'm not saying she was doing that for that purpose, but if you wanted to be cynical about it and attack the media, it would absolutely do you. Uh, I, I, in fact, I'm waiting for the day where some fighter comes out and just makes it a point to attack the media constantly and curries an audience as a consequence. This will happen. This will happen. Um, so uh, I understand the climate in which we're all uh, talking about this, but it should be clear his action here is pretty much above reproach uh and 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 that should be noted and um i'm making a point to do so someone asks in my honest opinion by perception of most mma fighters leads me to think most are pretty similar in their thoughts to nico montano i'm sure there are some exceptions but most don't make these issues so public you've mentioned that fighters have filed complaints against you in private yep Without listing their names or details, is Nico Montano's Instagram post pretty similar to criticisms you've gotten from other MMA fighters in private? I don't know if they've been that harsh, uh, but but look, here's something that I've just encountered, and at first I thought it was an, a weird quirk, but now I see it as a condition, and now I see it as just a reality, um, and one that actually at first I just could not understand, but now I think I'm I'm making more sense of it. The first generation of fighters that I covered, so let's say pre-tough they were all pretty sensitive to questions, to media, to any kind of perceived slight or um, a lack of accord with their worldview. Then the second generation of fighters were just like that. And I thought, well, that's because they learned from the first generation. And now you're at the second and third of those, and it's still happening. It could be that each successive generation is just picking up the habits of the previous one, or it could be that a condition of being a really good fighter a UFC champion, right, um, is that these guys are sensitive. They're very sensitive. They're sensitive in ways that in media it takes time to understand. And I think I'm finally coming around to it now. Um, number one, understandably, it has to be hard to have people who you think are physical inferiors to you to have them commenting on your abilities or your success or your failures. Um, the, in, in their mind, these the people commenting don't know anything about the occupation. They don't know anything about you, what gives them the right, right? It's sort of difficult to process is, is, is one. Um, and I think the other one is, I think these guys are intensely competitive, intensely competitive, and they're protective and they're, and they're strong. Um, but in, they're strong in a way where they're like, it's on, you know, it's game seven with them all the time sometimes where any kind of perceived slight, Ariel did nothing wrong, but it was a perceived slight, and and they go off, you know? Um, they're like this ticking time bomb. And sometimes you say things, and it doesn't bother them at all, and sometimes you can say the most innocuous thing imaginable, and then they lose it, you know? And then they lose it. And it happens all the time. It's happened to me throughout my career. I've had so many calls from so many promoters. What did you say? Blah, blah, blah. Like, it just happens all the time. And then you go back and you're like, what did I say? And the case of someone who snitched... I'm not even snitching because there's nothing to hide, but the one who, I, I mean, I could not possibly have less respect for this person 
who went to the UFC to complain about what I had done uh, under review, all of the questions that that person had raised completely collapsed upon examination of their claims because it was an insane claim. It was a completely insane claim. And so you just have, it's, it's like this weird thing that you have to, in media, be like, what, what's good advice? Be prepared for backlash. <laughs> be prepared for some of the people that you cover could not be greater. Matt Brown will open up his world in ways you couldn't possibly imagine. And he doesn't take shit, but he listens and he, and he tries to reason through the world and, and will accept uh, a, a degree of openness and dialogue about his career. And there are other ones that will, they will not tolerate it at all. Um, and it, and, and it, it will spring up in situations where you least expect it. But if you're asking whose side am I on, I have genuine I have genuine appreciation for Nico Montano, and I have genuine, to the extent I can from afar, trying to have some some uh, sympathy for her condition and her situation and how frustrating it must be. But I'm sorry, it was completely out of hand what she said about him. Switch of camps. Luke, are there any fighters out there at the moment that you think could benefit from a change of camps? That is a hard question to add, answer. Uh, he goes, some issues that might spring to mind. Either they are not performing overall at the moment and a move to a certain camp may help them um they are but a small limited gym and a move to a bigger gym with sparring partners facilities may help i mean i think generally I, I don't know how to answer that question but i can answer it this way in fact i'm supposed to have a technique talk coming out on saturday i spoke to the director of strength and conditioning at the ufc performance institute and you might say well what does that person know they're just a you know a health coach mm -mm. one of the things they're studying it turns out and I'm not spoiling this. There's a long explanation for this that I won't get into, but I will give you this much. One of the things they're studying at the UFC Performance Institute is, well, think about performance. What does performance mean? It can mean a lot of things. Hey, are you getting the right jujitsu training and how much and how often and what kind and all the skill development and are you eating right? Are you getting a good recovery? How much weight are you cutting? All the things that we traditionally know. One of the other things that they're looking into, and they don't, they haven't come to any firm conclusions, but they're looking at what is, just ask yourself, what is the optimal model for success? What does that look like, right? And partly that's a function of wealth, so that's going to limit it, but let's say at the highest level, and let's say wealth is not necessarily um, uh, an inhibiting factor. In other words, everyone at that level has sufficient wealth to make the model work. What does that model look like? How is it structured? And again, I don't think they've come to any firm conclusions, but one of the things they're looking into is, are these mega camps the best way to go about it, right? Because these mega camps, well, they're sometimes a business too. Hey, we got to get everyone on the floor at the same time. Let's just have a 3 p.m. pro practice. Well, maybe in this giant group this way, or even training at 3 p.m. in this way is not necessarily best for you. Maybe some kind of other tailored program um, actually works better. Or maybe for some people, that kind of rigid structure that forces you to raise your game, maybe that does work for you. Point being is the we, we need to rethink how we do this. A lot of the ways in which we do training now is structured around economic realities. How do we get the best training for the least amount of money? Now, that, that isn't to say fighters aren't willing to spend money, but it's a finite resource. They need to minimize how much they can put on that because they have a limited amount. And so they want to make sure they're getting enough, but not, not paying for more than what they need. And so how do you go about doing that? And how do you structure a camp or a business to facilitate those needs and those conditions? 
that's different than asking what's good for you and what do we know at the elite level? What is good for most people who are at this space? Or is there one optimized model? But that's what they're looking into. And I think that is where we have to begin to have a rethink because we've created a model that is developing and changing, but its original construction was a function of economic uh, cost uh, minimization. That's not the same as human performance. Someone says you only get one. If you could only see one fight booked, which of these would it be? Habib versus Connor, Habib versus Tony, Max versus Ortega, ooh, Jones DC three, Nate Connor three. You could eliminate Nate Connor three. Again, not that I don't want to see it, but given the choice. Hmm. Max Ortega, you could eliminate. You get this highly subjective. Jones DC three, you can eliminate. Yeah, Khabib versus Connor, for sure. But Khabib versus Tony is probably two. Uh, Chill Star Power. Hi, Luke. Last week you said uh, that anything around 500,000 Premier versus Vader will be okay. And that was what happened. 580 to be exact, 169 on CMT. Looking back, Volter 192 did 770 on Paramount and 160 on CMT. 25% less on Paramount Spike is a lot. And I wonder why. I would imagine that Fedor still has some charm among hardcore fans, and matchup itself would make people uh, interested. On the other hand, Bellator 192 had Rampage looking out of shape. And again, not that interested in fighting. Here, let's get to the question. Maybe people turn their TV on to catch the FS1 prelims, blah, 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 blah. Did Chael really make a big difference back in UFC 192? If so, is the UFC regret of letting him go? No. I don't think they want to be necessarily in that side of the business, number one. Number two... I do think uh, he does still have a lot of pull left, at least for this audience. I don't know if you guys have been paying attention to his YouTube channel. I have. Number one, he's got a great strategy. He puts out like five-minute videos, sometimes a couple times a day, but I mean multiple times a week. And he has raced. I mean, I think he crossed. Let me just verify this. If he's not at 100,000 subscribers by now, he must be very close. Let me pull this up. Let's see here. Where is he at? He is at, yeah, 100,000. Just added 100,959 subscribers. Let me tell you something, folks. He raced to that. As somebody who's trying to build his own channel and, of course, has helped out with MMA fightings as well. That is no small, that is no small accomplishment, man. And so um, I just think he understands uh, audience development. He understands... Uh, how to curry favor. He understands how to stay relevant. Um, and that is exhibited both by when he's in that cage, he knew exactly what to say when he's online. He's got a great strategy for exposure when he's on his podcast. He's got interesting things to say. He's an interesting guy to begin with. And there's a question about like what kind of competition they were facing back in the belt of 192 plus that was part of the launch of the network. So it was this big to do this big effort around it. And they spent a lot of money on that. So it's probably a confluence of factors. But if you're asking me again, is Chael going to be a bit of a difference maker when he faces uh, Fedor? Um, even if Fedor goes on, I'm going to guess that Fedor Chael is going to be the highest rated of all the Fedor fights. So let, let's see what happens uh, about that. One note, by the way, that should get out there is uh, I found out that Bellator let their Spanish language team go. Um, Manny Rodriguez and uh, Jorge... 
God, I forget their name, his last name, Bribesia. I'm not sure his last name. In any case, they let them go. You guys might remember them. They had a uh, call that went viral uh, during the um, Kimbo Dada fight. Uh, increíble, increíble. You guys don't remember that? It was it made the rounds on social media. Those guys have been with the company since the you know Bjorn Rebney days and before. And Manny is uh, Mexican American, but he's you know 100 American, and Jorge is as well. And uh, and Manny was a member, and I think is of Alliance. Uh, they let those guys go. And my understanding is it was a cost issue. But if it's a cost issue, how did you hire Glazer and put together a news desk? Like, so I don't know. I don't. And I, this this part I don't know. I don't know what happened with their uh, Spanish language efforts overseas. I don't know who's. I don't know who's calling them, or I don't. I don't. I don't know how that works. But their in-house Spanish language team they let go. I think uh, Jorge, by the way, is with uh, Combate Americas. Um, him and um, well, I'm not sure who else is on that team actually, but I know I know he is at least a little bit, and he's awesome. And Manny was really good too. Manny did their Spanish language PBC boxing. Remember when PBC boxing was on Spike? Um, he did all of that too. I'm trying to nail down this interview with this one dude. Who's great. But he is hard to deal with. All right, let's keep going. The uh, any updates on Chan Sung Jung? Check out Ariel's Twitter, Mark Hunt. I don't know Robbie Lawler, Brett Okamoto has one for you. The up and coming featherweight division. Luke right now is featherweight, the UFC's fastest growing division for quality young fighters. Yes, the top ten still has some aging, but competitive veterans like Aldo, Edgar, Cub, Stevens, Elkins, and Lamas, maybe Mendez. But outside of them, there are the likes of Bektich, Moicano, Yair, Jory, Zabit, Volkanovsky. You're forgetting Ortega, Holloway. Obviously, Ortega and Holloway, there you go, sit at the top. And the Korean Zombies in his late 20s, but a guy who's very competitive. Given your recent emphasis on 20-something fighters beating the old guard, is this division set up better than any other to let the younger crop take over? Seems that way. It, se it just seems like their younger fighters are more readily prepared to push out the older guard, um, which wasn't the case for a long time, but is so now. Whether that's just a moment in time thing or there's something central to, you know, inimical to that weight class, I, I don't know. But uh, yes, I, I do think that that is true. Uh, Endeavor not addressing the fans yet. Luke, we're rapidly approaching two years. Since Endeavor bought the UFC, why haven't the main brass addressed the fans yet? I feel like there's this big disconnect with fans, especially when you compare them to the Fertitas and old Dana. I don't think they feel like they need to. I mean, let's just let's just sort of think about it for a second, right? Like, uh, if they felt like they needed to, wouldn't they have done it by now? You're right. I mean, two years in, two years in July, right? Like, if they felt like they owed somebody... My guess is they would have done it, uh, and I don't think they do. Now, the question is, why don't they feel that way? Without being able to ask him, I have no idea. Someone says, can I add a somewhat related question to this from this week's MMA Hour? If you could ask Dana one question that he had to answer truthfully, what would it be? One question? Jesus. Um, good Lord, one question. What's the biggest mistake you've made in this business? That one. 
because remember you have to you have to answer it truthfully because there's so much that they've done right and we kind of all know that because it manifests itself i'm sure there are some things that they've done right that we don't know about that maybe they don't get credit for but uh -oh. oh by the way danny segura says fox sports latin america has its own team for bellator spanish language broadcast outside the u.s emiliano candido commentates there and i think manny is at combate too okay good to know in any case those guys are gone from that but back to the question at hand um yeah, it would be what what what's the biggest mistake you've made if you had to answer it truthfully? Because as I mentioned, they've had a million successes. Most we know about, some we probably don't. They probably had a series of minor failures. But what's one that they look back on and they're like, you know, we we botched that. I would love to know because I think that would tell us a lot. Nate Diaz. I can't believe no one has asked about Nate Diaz yet. Me too. Uh, is he coming back in August? We'll see. How far along do you think the negotiations are? Probably pretty far if it got this far to the public. Is LA the perfect card for him? It's pretty good. I mean, yes, I guess the SAP Center might be a little bit better or something, but um, is the opponent going to be Kevin Lee? I would have thought Alvarez or Gaethje if it's a definite for August. Gaethje could do without it, but I'd love to see that fight. Also, is this the perfect time for him to come back with Connor's absence potentially extending? So, to the Last question, yes. Is it going to be Kevin Lee? I don't see how it's not Kevin Lee. So let's, I mean, okay, I shouldn't say that because God knows it could end up in a million different directions. So let's think about this. Let's just do a process of elimination here. They ostensibly want to put this on this August 4th, 227 card, right? What's already on that? But what's already on that is Dillashaw versus Garbrandt too. You have to ask yourself, is that the main event? I don't know that it's been announced as the main event. But let's assume that it is the main event. Um, that would free them to make a Diaz fight non-title. But if it's not the main event, well, then Diaz would be headlining, right? Because he's probably the biggest star on that card. So if he's going to be headlining over a title fight, well, that means it would have to give him an interim title fight uh, or some kind of other title fight. So maybe they could give him Tyron Woodley there. Maybe that's what they plan on doing. That would make sense. Insofar as building a card is concerned, it would not make sense under any circumstance terms of meritocracy but i'm just thinking you've got a title fight on there already where does it stand as the main event or not main event and where does diaz fit into that so let's assume that it's not going to be a title fight because while i wouldn't rule out tyron woodley defending his title against nate diaz um for reasons aforementioned let's assume that's not the case and if that's not the case there won't be any welterweight fights for him because you've got uh i mean i guess by august you could do it but uh, the the biggest one to me is at lightweight. You've got Habib and Connor probably going to show down, have a showdown rather in November or December. Uh, then you've got Eddie and Dustin next to each other. We'll see what happens with Eddie, but those two are sort of being slated for July again. I know he's having contract issues, but let's see. Um, then you've got Kevin Lee at five, Barboza at six, Gaethje at seven, Dust. Uh, excuse me, Nate at eight. Okay, here's why I think that one. Habib and Connor off. Tony won't be back. You've got Eddie and Poirier. They're slated for each other, but even with that, um, are those the best fights for Nate? I think Eddie would wrestle him, and I, I think the UFC probably knows that. Dustin might be a good fun fight for him, so let's see what happens with Eddie. You could do it that way. But to me, Barboza, coming off a terrible fight, they might do it, but uh, I, it just doesn't seem like the best opportunity. Justin Gaethje, same thing, although that would be any fight Justin's in is pretty tremendous. But the Kevin Lee one just stands out for a couple of reasons. One, 
Kevin Lee at 25 years old, I think they think this is a guy we need to get some extra exposure to. And if we do, that'll pay dividends down the line. Uh, moreover, he would sell the fight in a way that Barboza couldn't, and Justin Gaethje just doesn't necessarily need to, but also couldn't. Uh, Kevin Lee would get in his face, and he would do interviews, and he would talk smack, and he looks really good, and he looks like a championship contender. I just think that's the one that makes the most sense because you can avoid a title situation for 227, and you can get a guy who I think the UFC believes in the long term in Kevin Lee. You can get that rub from Nate Diaz, potentially. Uh, and uh, yes, Kevin Lee might wrestle him too, but Nate Diaz's guard, pretty pretty uh, exciting. We've already seen Kevin Lee have, well, I won't say submission issues, but certainly got submitted from guard the last time he lost. It just, there's something there that kind of, the connectivity works a little bit. I just think by a process of elimination, that's the way you should go. But what, what direction will they go? God only knows. So I was asking about Elias Theodoru. He's competing at like one of the July shows. I forget against who. Someone says, Joe Rogan doing a fight companion for a Bellator event. Any thoughts on this? Not really. Pretty interesting that Joe would do this. Why? I know he's not perfect, but personally, I think he's. it's awesome that he's basically the only person getting paid by the UFC who also has the money, guts, security, whatever, to do something like that. You mean like, oh, like cover a Bellator event? Ah. I'm quite certain you didn't listen for the reference, but the, the Bellator Fight Companion video on YouTube has over a million views. Yeah, well, his channel has just actually exploded, and his podcast is huge. So I would imagine that... Uh, I would imagine that that would be the case. Plus, it was Eddie and I think who else was on it? Like Brendan? That's all that one little um, the Photoshop they did, the um, Princess Bride Photoshop. No, I don't have a whole lot of thoughts on it. Those things, those people seem to love him. Uh, he, he's a big celebrity. <laughs> he had two other famous figures on the show. Um, the UFC is not nearly as, again, the UFC is just not, it, it's not UFC of 10 years ago where they were like, you know, even talking about any kind of other competitor would make them lose their mind. I don't think they're all that. I mean, look at Bellator's ratings. You think they're worried? I don't think they're all that worried. So it's good for MMA. It's good for MMA when, you know, Joe Rogan does stuff like that. So no, I don't have any thoughts about it other than that. Um, weigh-ins. Luke, after Kevin Lee missed weight, you said the morning weigh-ins aren't helping anything. Well, there's some evidence to suggest that might be true. Why can't the UFC extend the window for weigh-ins from two hours to six? Because it's a commission issue. It's not up to them to extend it. Still have it start at 8 a.m. local and end at 2 p.m. The fighter that weighs in later that day would only be detrimental to themselves and would possibly keep fight on weight. Well, there's a reason why you can't do that, in part because commissions have regulations. But the other one is there has to be a certain window in which you weigh in. Um, that's In many cases, it's it can be no more than... Uh, it has to be within a certain window of the event start time. And so that can vary state to state. I think the issue is, and the one thing that bothers me about this, is that you know if this fight, if the AC fight had been in Glendale, Kevin Lee would have had the two hours to uh, to make it, or at least attempt to make the one extra pound. And he didn't get that opportunity. And again, I'm going to keep bringing this up because no one talks about it, but until we have a reckoning with it, this is going to keep killing us. We, had, we, we need to have a serious rethink about running towards regulation and what it's done and what, if anything, can be done to unrun 
from regulation to run away from it or at least to to seize back control to make rules better because you keep saying why can't we do this what about judging what about refs what about weigh-in times what about them they're not changing anytime soon it's you know why can't the dmv line move faster because it's the dmv and there's nothing you can do about that except show up earlier i guess well this is interesting going back to the joe rogan thing someone says this was especially odd to me because when jimmy smith was let go by bellator and was immediately a guest on the jre rogan said it wasn't possible for smith to be a guest of his in the past because of their situations strongly implying that smith's association with bellator precluded that from happening yeah it's one thing though to have a guy who's on bellator broadcasts and then another one on your own private youtube channel just to talk about the event i guess i don't know again the ufc has really let like they've eased up on this kind of thing so it says more people wanted to hear rogan talk about bellator than actually watch bellator that's funny Someone says 90% of fight companion is not related to the fights and people watch just for the overall debate. I listened to one fight companion and that was my experience as well. If Joe puts a fight companion on for Combate Americas or something, a ton of people would tune away. I don't think that means much, honestly. If there's some UFC small show on FS1 and Bellator, blah, blah, blah. Okay, whatever. Uh, true, false. Aldo beats Stevenson in, excuse me, Stevens in dominant decision. Hmm. False. By the end of 2020, Bellator is out of Paramount. Oof. Boy, that is a ballsy one. Just to keep me from uh, looking foolish, I'll say false, but I wonder if it's true. Gastelum fights for the title in 2018. True. Michael Bisping fights one more time. You know, I would have said true before. But as each day passes, I'm beginning to say no. Um, I'd like to believe yes. Something about it tells me no. I'll say no. I'll say false. Ben Askren returns to Bellator and never fights in the UFC. Also false. No chance. Luke, did you see Avengers Infinity War? I did. I did see Avengers Infinity War. I saw it in a theater. Uh, I didn't get to the theater where the seats recline, but there's this theater uh, in not too far from my house that uh, you buy the assigned seats. And there's like a bar there, so if you want, you can have a beer. I didn't drink. I actually don't like drinking in movies, especially when it's two and a half hours because I can't have just one beer. I have to have like seven, and I don't want to keep getting up, so I, I didn't drink. But uh, but it's a nice theater, you know, and. And the food's better. Anyway, I saw one of the one of those theaters, and it was. And by the way, the, each theater only sits thirty people. It's like glorious, you know. Um, I loved it. I loved it. I, I didn't think it was necessarily the best uh, Marvel Comics universe movie. Uh, I did think it was the best Avengers movie. And this is the thing. I'm not going to give any spoilers, but this is the thing. I don't think there's enough discussion of is that if you go and you watch the other Marvel comic universes, you, the other MCU movies, what you notice pretty clearly is like. Guardians of the Galaxy doesn't really take place in a part of the uh, universe that Spider-Man does, right? Guardians of the Galaxy, and this is no spoiler. They're in space for the most part um, it, throughout the course of the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, and Spider-Man is in New York City, right? These are things that are, again, no spoilers. But it's not really that they take, take, 
take place in different parts of the uh, uh, universe. It is also that they have entirely their own ways which the characters uh, interact, uh, their own kind of dialogue and feel, their own aesthetics. They're really these, these tiny little universes unto themselves. The major achievement of this movie is that Marvel didn't just combine a bunch of characters into one movie. What they did was they 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 create they were able to seamlessly uh, retain the feel of the individual universes from the individual character series. So the Iron Man series, Spider Man, Guardians of the Galaxy, Hulk, Thor. Uh, and yet, at the same time, make them work in unison as well. It was one of those kinds of movies where, and I tweeted about this, I, I, if you've seen the DC movies, it's it's not merely that DC couldn't do a version of this movie only worse. DC can't do a version of this movie or, or their own kind of response to it or, or, or something. They're not capable of it, right? So everyone was like, well, Marvel movies are better than DC movies, right? But that... It's not, it's not one's better, one's worse. This isn't a difference in degree. This is a difference in kind. It, that was a master stroke in my mind, how good they got that. There are other problems with the movie. It's insanely long. Um, there's some other problems that I can't get into because that would be giving spoilers. But suffice to say, the major achievement in my mind was someone was asking me, oh, I haven't seen a bunch of these Marvel movies. Should I go? Well, I don't know. I mean, Maybe. One thing that you would absolutely miss if you didn't see Thor Ragnarok, if you didn't see, obviously, some of the last Avengers movies, uh, you wouldn't be able to appreciate the craftsmanship in getting all of those universes to still retain their identity and then blend at the same time. I was blown away by how good that was. So, yeah. And Thanos was awesome. Josh Brolin is a beast. Josh Brolin was good in Sicario, too. Check Congo. Watching Bellator Saturday, I've noticed that Congo is out of the tournament, even though he is in a 5-0 streak and overall 9-2 in Bellator. In a tournament with four light heavyweights and a bunch of guys coming off of losses, Nelson, Mir, Fedor, Rampage. This is an absurd IMO. I think you missed a word. I know Congo's style is not that fun to watch. Oh, do you? But you can't deny his success. Do you think this type of decision in the tournament about being spread in five months are affecting the ratings? Well, there's two different questions. Uh... Yes, I do think spreading the tournament out has been... Uh, granted, they're doing the next one, what, on May 12th? So they're not spreading those two parts far apart, but generally speaking, we started this in, what, January or so? And now we're, you know, four months later, it's just way, 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 way too long. So yes, that has been a problem. But not including Czech Congo in this tournament, yeah, I think that was a fine decision. I, I really have no issue with it at all. Luke, have you ever competed... Or thought about competing in an amateur MMA bout? No and no. Have no interest. Uh, Luke, do you ever plan on writing a book? Uh, do, do I ever plan on it? I don't know. I don't plan on it right now. If so, what are some possible topics you would write about? I don't know. I don't have any. Um, I don't have any interest in writing a book at the moment. I have interest in reading some books, but not writing any. Uh, Tough Twenty Seven finale headliner. The UFC recently announced that the main event of the Tough 27 finale card will feature Israel Adesanya facing his most accomplished opponent in MMA, Brad Tavares. Tavares has been fighting in the UFC since 2010 and has more fights in the UFC than Adesanya has on his record. True. Adesanya has two UFC fights, and his first fight with the organization was this February. I've seen some criticism of this matchup and suggestions it's too much too soon. Tavares should present a stiff challenge. Find myself strongly in favor of the bout. 
and I want to see the last style bender, uh, blah, 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 blah. What's your take? Uh, here is my opinion. It's like the Edgar situation coming back from the knockout. Even if he got the win, which he did, was it advisable to do that kind of risky thing? And what does it mean for, in his case, recovery, but in the case of Adesanya, development? In other words, uh, first of all, Adesanya could lose here because Brad Tavares is nobody's pushover. And he has put together a pretty incredible win streak and is really coming into his own. He, too, is very young. Folks forget he made his UFC debut at, what, 21, 22 uh, eight, eight years later, I think he is just in there. Uh, he he has skills everywhere, and he's hard to put away. Uh, even if you can beat him, he's still hard to put away. You know, so always remember that. Uh, Adesanya, I think, is a next level talent. Here's what I'm concerned about: maybe Adesanya beats him, right? Because Adesanya is also extremely talented. But what I'm worried about is if he beats him, is that a good thing? Because if he beats him like pillar to post and Adesanya shows this incredible growth in a short amount of time, well, fine. But if he goes in there and, and has, you know, legitimate, I mean, Brad Tavares is a good fighter and he legitimately struggles but gets the job done, well, then you've beaten a guy in the top 10. Well, now you have all your fights after that have to be in the top 10. Is that really the best idea this fast? Maybe or maybe not. So th- to me, it's like, it's like even if you can get the job done, what does this portend uh, and mean essentially for the job, the fight after this one? And and is this the catalyst for a directional, not a directional, but is this a catalyst for speeding up his development when it should be kept at a much more moderate pace? I guess we'll have to see. So my hope is that this is going to sound crazy. Either he went, I, I either would like Israel to just like blow the doors off of him. Or actually lose, and I'm not rooting for anyone to lose. I'm just sort of talking in an abstract way. But like, I worry about him winning and winning enough where they give him somebody like really good, and then he ends up getting in this trap where uh, he's fighting guys he's just not prepared for, and you know it would take successive losses at that point to push him back to a spot where he would be where he normally be had he just sort of you know iterated uh, in a normal way. Do I plan on writing a book? No. All right, here's a good one. Athleticism and MMA. Hi, Luke. I got into a recent debate with a friend of mine over the quality of athletes who compete in MMA. He stated that Yoel Romero was one of the best athletes in the world, sports based on pure athleticism. What? And he's certainly a freak athlete. The average size of an NBA point guard is 6'3", 225. Right? John Wall is like my size. Uh, and those guys are flying through the air on a nightly basis. Could you help explain the massive difference in athleticism between MMA's best and those who perform at the highest level in the NBA and the NFL? Well, a couple of things. I would actually say that uh, Yoel Romero is one of the best athletes in the world because, remember, he's 40. You didn't see him at 25. He was competing in a sport that has a very high participatory rate around the world. And he was, you could say whatever you want about his wrestling IQ back then. He was, there was no question he was the king of the mat in terms of athleticism when he was out there wrestling. Ask anybody. Daniel Cormier will tell you. So to me, there's enough evidence to conclude that this is a guy who everywhere has been a better athlete than his peers. Um, 
So I don't have any problem saying that. But what you're talking about is sort of a bit of a different question, which is how good are NBA athletes and how good are NFL athletes? And they are phenomenal and they're super underrated. I think mostly underrated in the NBA, to be quite honest with you. Look at LeBron James. What is he, 275 and 6'7", right? I mean, and he has absurd ups. And have you seen his delts? I mean, he is a phenomenal, phenomenal athlete. We don't have anything like that in the heavyweight division at all. I do think we have guys not like that, but for their size are perfectly good athletes, uh, or really, really good athletes too. Here's the best debate. I mean, yeah, so the guys like are, is it Saquon Barkley or Saquon Barkley? Is he an absurd athlete? The guy power, he's not a he's not an Olympic weightlifter and he power cleaned 405. And I think he ran the 40 with like less than 4-4, and he had a 40 inch plus vertical, 41 or 42. I mean, he's a monster athlete, right? It's absurd. Okay. So, yes, you get guys like that, uh, and you get these Julio Jones types who have incredible ups and, um, uh, and whatnot. The, the issue isn't so much athleticism, because if you want to have that argument, who's got the better athletes generally, it's going to be your stick and ball sports. Not always. Again, Yoel Romero, I think, is very much competitive in terms of athletic traits um, with the rest of the field, but you know, a lot of guys aren't. However, that's not really the key issue here, actually. Um, I've mentioned this before and people resist this, but I, I think we need to have a, I think there's something to it. Otherwise I wouldn't keep bringing it up. I, I don't, again, if you treat something enough as a sport, it just becomes it, right? So MMA is a sport in that sense, but at its heart, fighting is not, it's not a sport. You can do it for sport, but it's not like an invented game, um, separate from some kind of reality that are separate from the, the ordinary human condition. Fighting is something that we do across species, as I mentioned before. Fighting is something that we do uh, in society. Uh, MMA is just best practices and some rules applied to it. It's really the only difference. Um, and, of course, um, you know the recruitment of better athletes to do it. So what's the point? Well, even if you had better athletes in MMA, over time you would probably get better MMA. But you should always remember that strong athletic qualities – by themselves, while could transfer very well to MMA, and you know you see these lifelong athletes like a Rousey or a Cormier, they come over and they just have a different feel to them. At the same time, you have to have the mental wherewithal and the and as I've called talked about it before, you have to have this call to violence that even really good athletes just do not possess. You know you've seen it a million times. There've been really good athletes, even from the wrestling world, come over. They start taking some punches, and they don't want they don't want any more of that. It, it, not it's it's the best fighters. Yes, you want the highest quotient of athleticism, but what I would say is those other sports, while extremely technical and extremely tactical and strategic, you know the ball handling of of Kyrie Irving and the you know the 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 the, the ups of some like a seven foot monster of Anthony Davis and all, all these athletic traits are incredibly important, but. There's another component, which is, do you have this innate ability um, to hurt another person? Do you have this innate ability to put yourself into a firefight in that way? And that can undermine very easily, if they don't have that trait, a very, very good athlete. MMA success is predicated on having some degree of athletic skill and also this mental capacity for that kind of work. And that's going to make 
case often where you'll get a good athlete who has the mental capability to do it, and they will 10 times out of 10 beat a much better athlete who struggles with that component. It's the balance of the two. Now, not necessarily in equal parts, but enough where you have to take that seriously. Very, very much. Always remember that. All right, it's about 2.15. Oh, wait. Yeah, no. It's about 2.15, so let's go to the Twitter machine, at L Thomas News. Shoot me a tweet, and I will get to it. <laughs> What's this? Alex Jones is saying Ben Shapiro shouldn't have told Kanye not to go on InfoWars. Says he, Ben Shapiro has a, quote, conceited douchebag face. <laughs> oh, that's funny. All right. Uh... Speaking of Infinity War, have you seen Colby Covington's tweet? Yes, I did. He outdid himself this time, not only tagging the two movie hashtags, but adding the quote, or the not quote, but the hashtag NFL draft hashtag. Not a Colby fan, but I find this hilarious. Not only did he do that, and I won't spoil it, not only did he tag that because it came out on NFL draft night, not only did he tag the NFL draft, but what he did was he just gave away plot points. So he gave, it was like plot point, plot point, plot point, you're not getting laid, is what he wrote. Plot point, plot point, plot point. Hashtag NFL draft. Just just spray in the block, even if grandma gets hit. I don't know how you can't find that funny. The, and also, if you wanted some good humor, if you've already seen the movie, go look at the responses to the tweet. Sublime. What's the strangest in a comical way, UFC fight or moment in a fight you've ever watched? Maybe the spilled bag of ice? That was one. <clears throat> it has been a while since we have had a good live chat rant. So tell us, what has been grinding your gears lately? What has been grinding my gears lately? Um, I don't know. It's a bit of a quiet time in my anger life. Oh, you know, I, don't, I don't know that I would say angry about it. I do find that they canceled Triple G versus Canelo because of anti-doping concerns. Anti-doping concerns, by the way, that can easily be explained by the evidence available. But my, here's my favorite part about it. Ostensibly, what do you want to do with... Uh, what's one of the reasons why there's purportedly strong anti-doping in MMA or combat sports? And the idea is, of course... Fairness is one issue. The other one, of course, is you know with these guys and, and on these drugs, they can the amount of violence that they can exact on each other would be heightened. It's like okay, let's assume that's true, but you can't really assume that Canelo just got on this stuff, right? If you're assuming he's on it, you probably he's been on it for a while. So you killed off that fight to book a absurd mismatch where Triple G is likely to knuckle somebody into the dirt. Uh, who is totally overmatched by uh, the moment. And I'm supposed to be concerned about whatever marginal gains, if they are even from intentional PED use, that he might have gotten from clenbuterol. Like whatever, whatever extra violence he would have been exacted on Triple G would have been a fraction of what he's about to do to this Armenian guy. It's just, it's comically hypocritical. Uh, let's see. Much is made about USADA and their testing in the UFC. How does Bellator drug test? Commissions only. I wonder as several of their current past fighters, Mir, Chael, Krokop, Bonner, Fitch, Vanderlei, have popped in the UFC and have used TRT but now fight for them without issue. Yeah, 
commission testing, just like it should be. Do you think Frank Mir wins his next fight in ACB and then comes back to fight the winner in the Bellator attorney? No, I don't. You can only drop one of these two into an active volcano, Kanye West or Justin. Oh, that's easy, Kanye. Just to shut him up. Just stop talking. You know? Uh, what about Diaz versus Newell? What would your dream combat jujitsu match be? I'd take Rogan versus Smith and Fedor versus Barnett. Ooh, I'd take neither of them. I would take... Um, I'd take Verdum and uh, maybe Bouchesha or Bouchesha versus Hodger combat style. That'd be fun. How incredibly wrong, but at the same time, wonderful would it be if Derek Lewis was the UFC heavyweight champion? You wish. I, I think we all wish that were true. Good Lord. You know how great that would be? Having him parade with that belt, oh, the joy we'd all experience. You want any Jacek versus Tisha Torres in Calgary? What's your opinion on the fight? Yeah, it's a good fight. This is a huge step up for Torres because I feel Ioanni Jacek is superior to her everywhere. Uh, it'll be a fight that probably goes the distance because they're probably going to be striking at range on each other. So that does favor Ian Jacek. But um, yeah, looking forward to it. I don't have a strong opinion about it. Fedor versus Mir did about 500k viewers. Over or under on Fedor versus Chael doing 50k under. Is that enough to justify those 300k purses? Definitely not. Superhero movies. Are they really just for virgins? Well, they definitely are for virgins, but I have fun watching them as well. Lovato Jr. versus Maya in MMA. Who you got? Oof. Um... Huh. Man, that's a good question. Wow. Let me think about that for a second. Probably Maya, but that would be interesting. That would be interesting because the one ace in the hole probably wouldn't be enough for Lovato to get overrun. Hey, Luke, after the Fox deal is finished, do you see the UFC relying more heavily on Fight Pass? I wish. They did buy again. They bought New Lion, you know, which is, is the company that offers and establishes the technology for not merely fight pass, but for many other leagues is streaming content. Uh, but I, I God only knows what they're going to do. It ain't perfect, but my friend had a simple idea that I think would greatly improve the UFC rankings. If a fighter loses or remains inactive for a year, you must automatically drop them five spots. That seems a little harsh, but I would say this. If you lose in a title fight, you should be dropped. I mean, especially if it's a stoppage, you should be dropped at a minimum two spots. Like, oh, I lost the fight. I'm the number one contender. It's like, I can't. I just can't even with that. Your argument against music artists collaborating to make music, would that apply to a martial artist having coaches and corner collaborating for a fight? Um, I don't even know what that means. 
Hey, look, Demi and Maya takes on Usman on kind of short notice in Chile. What are your thoughts? I love this fight for Kamaru Usman. It's a tough fight for Demi and Maya, man. I think it's a third terrible matchup in a row for Demi and coming off of two losses and at age 41. Got to respect the guy for fighting literally anybody, anytime. One of the last of the Mohicans. No doubt about it, man. Take tip of the cap to that guy. But you had Ponzinibbio at 10 before. Now you got number four and he's got a name. And it's a style matchup that's probably better for you as well. Like if you're Kamaru Usman, man, this is you got to take this opportunity and seize it. If they if they created two more divisions, one sixty five and one seventy five would have benefit the UFC. It would have some benefits. It's not a, it's not it's not a yay or nay issue. It's a is there a net benefit? Or is there a net loss? Well, some things would be better, some things would be worse. I tend to believe it would drain the other divisions in a way that wouldn't be great, but uh, it would substantially cut down weight cutting problems ostensibly. One would think. So there you go. Uh, who do you prefer, Doug Stanhope or Bill Burr? Uh, well, I love both, but I prefer Doug Stanhope by a mile for a couple of reasons. One, he has by far the edgiest comedy of anybody. He will go to places in his comedy that even Bill Burr won't touch. Although Bill Burr is certainly, you know, not one for the faint of heart. But, you know, Doug Stanhope did an entire bit waiting for a statute of limitations to expire about helping his mother kill herself um, and doing so by self-poisoning, basically. Uh, I mean, if there's nobody like Doug Stanhope. He has no peer. You, have you heard his bit, like the, the bit about NFL and the Sunday slice of AIDS? Like it's nobody does comedy like he does it. And the best part about Doug Stanhope is he has completely done it without the help of the Lenos and Lettermans and now the Fallons and the Kimmels. He doesn't go on these shows. He doesn't try and do Carolines on Broadway. He has his own mailing list. He goes to places that are not yuck yucks in Columbus, Ohio, or whatever. He goes to venues in the middle of nowhere. I went to a place and saw Doug Stanhope in Fredericksburg, Virginia. It was the same place that a week before was holding MMA fights in the middle of this like room. I don't know how else to explain it. And Doug Stanhope did did a show there and took pictures and sold merch. Like he is so committed to his art that he has in some ways, harmed his own career in an effort to make sure the art stayed pure. If you don't have more respect for that, I'm not against what Bill Burr's done. Make some money, has a cartoon on Netflix. I loved him in Breaking Bad. The Philly rant, you know, is is incredible. Uh, you know, his bit on Schwarzenegger is incredible. His bit on domestic violence is incredible. Like, I love Bill Burr, but I'm sorry. Doug Stanhope is, and he, this, no one will appreciate this until he dies. He is peerless among stand-up comedy uh, comedians today. No, everyone thinks they do brave material. They don't, and everyone thinks they're committed to their craft. No one is committed to the integrity of their craft like him. Not even close. Uh, let's see. Do you think we'll see the appearance of Ubermeer? We might. Assuming the Torres fight is three rounds, is Joanna at a disadvantage as she seems to be purpose-built for fives? I do think that the more rounds there are, the better. I don't know that it will tremendously harm her in this case, only because uh, I think she has a natural advantage with the way the styles match. If the UFC reached a TV deal with ESPN, would it grow MMA? Depends on the nature of the TV deal. ESPN is known to promote the sports content they're heavily invested in, like NFL and NBA. ESPN seems to have noticeably reduced coverage of MMA on their staple shows the last few years. Everybody has. 
Hi, Luke. With MMA seemingly on the decline in the West, that's not true. Do you have any insight to how kickboxing and MMA are doing in Japan? I don't, but Lucas Bordon on Twitter might, as well as Kaposa, Kurbaka Hitman, as well as uh, some other folks. K1 seems to be resurfacing, and many MMA promotions now have kickboxing divisions. ACB, he mentions here, Bellator. Is Bellator kickboxing setting the world on fire? I do not think so. And ACB has a jiu-jitsu division. Are they setting the world on fire? They're not. Um, kickboxing, I don't think, is... Uh, no. Uh, and uh, about the issue about the West, well, the West includes Europe. And in many reason, parts of Europe, there's not reason to believe that MMA is shrinking, but rather growing. North America, a bit of a different situation. But when you say the West, I don't know what you mean. Hi, Luke. Do you have any update on Jones and the USADA situation? A while ago, Malky said he hoped to proceed with the hearing by the end of March. It's now early May, and we are hearing nothing. Right. Well, understand something. There is no hearing. There is no hearing. There is no hearing until uh, a finding is made, a ruling is made, and then he appeals it, and then in arbitration there's a hearing. But there's no hearing without arbitration. There's just whatever they negotiate. So it sounds to me like they're still negotiating. I had Jones's lawyer, uh, Howard Jacobs, on my show the, uh, earlier this month, and he had no update then either. So, But there's this big misconception that there was a hearing. There is no hearing unless there's an appeal and unless there's an appeal which we have we, we would probably know there's nothing to report so they're still either talking trying to work out a deal going back and forth but remember the hearing is only a function of arbitration which only happens on appeal would you push hard for chandler if you were the ufc sure who would you pair him up with his first fight? Ooh, Gaethje. <laughs> Chandler versus Gaethje is, you know, doesn't get much better than that. Thoughts on Dan Hardy waiting to come back? Yeah, man, I would love to see it at least one more time. I hope he gets a matchup that he really cares about. Who it would be? I know he wanted a bit of a name, but somebody kind of also competitive. Hard to know who that might be at this point. Um, I don't know. Would they do Dan Hardy, Nick Diaz? I don't. I don't. I don't know. Or you know, would he go lower than that? I don't. I don't know exactly what they would do. Uh, and he has. He has. He can. I think he can even make lightweight these days. So, kind of hard to tell. But, um, uh, but I would love to see it, man. True or false? Kendrick Perkins would have a top five mean mug in MMA. True. I would pay top dollar to watch Luke listen to a Kanye album. Would this ever be possible? Oh, I've listened to Kanye albums. Uh, all right. That's about it for today. So let's do this. Thank you guys so much for watching. I really appreciate it here. Enjoy Triple G's overmatched fight. Watch me just jinx the whole thing, and now he'll, he'll lose. And then we'll lose the Canelo rematch, which would just be everything the, the overzealous anti-dopers deserve. But... Let's hope it doesn't come to that. In any case, thank you guys so much for watching. I really appreciate it. I'll put this up on iTunes, itunes.com slash promotional malpractice. And um, yeah, anything else, hit me up via email, lukethomasnews at gmail.com. And until then, stay frosty. <laughs>